book, profile picture, does it have a rainbow filter across it? If not, you are a bigot. Or so the world would have you believe. Our society is changing and changing very, very quickly, isn't it? Now, just a few years ago, to, to be a Christian, it was just seen as something that's kind of, okay, you're a Christian, it's seen as something kind of uncool or seen as uh, being something unfashionable. But things have changed. And now, just a few years later, to be a Christian is seen as different. Like, to be a Christian is seen as being something or someone that's maybe a little bit intolerant, right? Someone who's maybe a little bit bigoted. A Christian, somebody who's maybe even... Somebody who's a little bit wicked. Society's changing and changing fast. So the question we've got to answer as Christians is how do we respond to that? You know, if, if, if our world outside is becoming slightly more hostile to the Christian faith, what do we do about that? Like, do we, do we engage? Do we try and tackle that situation with society and with our friends and the people around us? Or maybe has society got to such a point that what we do is we kind of pull back. You know, we, we, we withdraw from that entirely. How do we respond to these shifting sands that we are seeing in society? Well, today, in this portion of scripture that we're going to study and look at in Acts chapter 28, you and I are confronted by a relationship. And it is a relationship between, on one hand, You've got a group of pagan people from the island of Malta. And on the other hand, you've got a group of Christian believers. Okay? So we have much in these verses that that helps us to, to work out how we should behave. What should we be thinking living as Christians in this godless and changing world? Okay? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I ask you to turn with me in your Bibles, to Acts chapter 28, and to have that open in front of you. And we'll look at a few things that we can pick out of of these verses by God's grace. Firstly here, um, we learn that Christians should connect with the unbelieving world. That's the first thing we, we need to think about here. Christians should connect with the unbelieving world. Okay. I guess the first thing I've got, kind of got to deal with here is that some of you weren't here last week, were you? You weren't in the congregation last week. And so maybe because of that, you're not maybe as familiar as other people with the immediate background and what's going on here. Now, Paul the Apostle at this point is being transferred as a prisoner all the way from Caesarea, right across the Mediterranean to Rome, and Paul, as a prisoner, is due to meet Nero, okay, he's going to come before Caesar. Now, last week as a congregation, we saw that the ship that Paul was sailing in, it was hit a storm, and it was it was broken up and destroyed, and we kind of left things last week with Paul and some of his fellow Christians, and they're trying to swim, they see a beach, and make a mad dash, a swim for this beach. As we turn into scripture just now, we learn a couple of things. One, we learned that that island that they reached was the island of Malta. We've got that. The second thing that we learn is that at that point, a large number of local people, these islanders, they come out. They've heard this commotion, the storm, the shipwreck. They come out to see what is going on. Okay? Now, 
some translations you've got in front of you. It depends what Bible translation you've got. Some of the translations translate the word islander as barbarian. Okay? Now, what we're trying to deal with, the real idea there, is that these local people, these islanders, were pagans. Okay? That's the stress of it. These people were unbelievable, like just pagan people. Okay? And because of that, first thing I really want us to think about is how those pagan people respond to the Christians. How do they respond to the Christians? And I guess to, to, to answer that, what we've got to do is picture, <laughs> picture what this would have looked like to the pagans. Can you imagine what the Christians would have looked like? They would have looked like, I don't know, Scotsmen who had forgotten their umbrellas, you know? I mean, they've just come out of the sea. These Christians, see it? Like they're soaking wet and they're, they're freezing and they've just fought a storm and they're absolutely exhausted, right? And do you see how the pagans treat them? Like what, what do the pagans do here? Do you see it in verse 2? They get a fire going for them. You see it? Like they, they, they respond with real kindness to these Christians. They, you, know, you can imagine they're sort of speaking to them, drying out their clothes. Do you see it? It's quite a sort of caring scene. And I think, friends, even in that, we've got a lesson to learn this morning from Scripture. The lesson that perhaps you and I, as Christians, shouldn't be quite as scared of unbelieving society as we are. And we are. But look what we've got here. Think about what happens. God uses these pagan people, doesn't he? Like God here uses the pagan world for the protection and the help of his people. And God does that in Acts chapter 28. And guess what? God does that today. Like in our, our lives just now, in the life of the church, God is using pagan society. He's actually using unbelievers for our benefit and for our care. He does that through laws. He does that through government. He does that through institutions. He does that through... And do you see it? God is on our side. Our side. Like perhaps... We shouldn't be so fearful, so feardy of the outside world. So we've seen the pagans and how they respond to the Christians here. They respond with kindness. Tell you what, let's flick that on its head. How do the Christians then respond to these pagans in the island of Moab? Years ago, when I was at school, so we're going back a bit now, I took part in a, a French exchange program at school. So you had therefore these poor French people that got the joy of coming up to Inverness in Scotland and staying with with my family and other families uh, in Inverness and on the other hand, of course, I and a few other students, we got to go to France and we got to stay with families there. Now, I, I still remember the first day that I'm in France and I had to go into this French school and he said, go in the playground and I remember there's a big group of French people and I'm shooting the French students and I'm sure they're really nice and I'm sure they want to be welcoming. But I was just so oh, hesitant and reluctant to get involved. I was like, oh, you know, French people, you know, and I dressed. I'm usually speaking all French and stuff. And I was just so hesitant and, and reluctant. And the question I want to ask you, is that what Paul is like here? Like he's confronted with this group of people, strange people, pagan people. Is he 
Is he reticent? Is he reluctant? Not a chance! Paul the Apostle is in there in a flash. He is instantly involved with these pagan people. And get this, that is the primary theme of this portion of Scripture. The mutual interaction and benevolence between the pagan world here and the Christians. And it's lovely because it brought out in this detail you're told about Paul. Do you see what he's doing in verse 3? What's he doing? He's picking up sticks. He's making a fire. He's helping. He is working alongside, working with these pagan people. Isn't that amazing? And what's the lesson for us as the people of God this morning? Friends, hear this. Over the last number of years, we have been hearing a similar theme from a lot of Christian believers. Now, we read this sort of thing in blogs, Christian blogs, social media. We even hear it sometimes from our churches. And it's the message that such is the state of our society that we as the people of God should pull back. That we should withdraw. You've heard this, haven't you? Our laws are getting worse and our society is just getting increasingly immoral. So the people of God, we should pull back. We should retreat. We should, we should pull back into our own communities and our own groups. Friends, I, I ask you, is that sort of Christian siege mentality? Is that a biblical idea? I mean, is that what we see from the, the apostle Paul here in Acts chapter 28, is it? No. So I, I say to you this morning, see the interaction and engagement you have with the unbelieving world, with the unbelievers, your friends and your family and your work colleagues and your students. See that interaction. Cherish it. Really cherish it. Like value it. Treasure that. Because don't you see, you know, if, if we as the people of God retreat out of sight... How can we possibly testify to the, the glory of the gospel? I mean, if we pull back, if we retreat, how do we tell people, how do we show people the glory of the gospel, the wonder, the splendor of our Savior Jesus Christ? We should connect with the unbelieving world. Okay. Secondly, we see here that Christians should care spiritually for the unbelieving world. So Christians should, you've got it, Christians should connect with the unbelieving world. Secondly, Christians should care spiritually. Now, got to be careful here. I have not seen these films, okay? Nor, I underline this bit, nor am I recommending these films, but I am aware of the... uh, that franchise, the, the Final Destination films. Okay, now I don't know how many Final Destination films there are. There's like five or six of these films. But I do know, having not seen them, I do know uh, that they're renowned for having very similar storyline. You know, what happens is that you've got a, a group of young people and there's an explosion or an, a disaster and somehow the group of young people survive and in the film, it sort of charts how individually each one of those, indiv- those young people comes to a pretty gruesome and pretty grisly end. And I think the tagline for the Final Destination films is something like, you can't cheat death. You know, death is always going to come back and get you. Now, those films might be rubbish, okay? Sure, they probably are. That 
does seem to be the mindset of these pagans in the island of Malta. They're at their final destination, people, aren't they? Aren't they? You see what happens? Like Paul is, he's making this fire. And do you see what happens? The, the heat of the fire disturbs a snake. And it jumps out and it latches onto Paul's arm. And what do the people think? They think, final destination. They think, Paul has clearly cheated death in the shipwreck. But that death has now come back to get him in, in the shape of this snake. Okay, they're thinking final destination. And then there's this sort of delicious pause on the beach there, isn't there? Where everyone's just looking at Paul. It's like, is he going to die or not? Is he going to die or not? And when he doesn't die, what do they conclude? They conclude, oh, well, he must be a god. Now, friends, what we are supposed to notice in that section is the immense spiritual blindness of those pagan people. Like you and I are supposed to read Acts 28 and we are supposed to be blown away. I mean, we are supposed to be staggered by the the darkness that those people are in. And you see it, don't you? They've got such a false idea of the divine. I mean, they think God is capricious and mean and he's just chasing people, trying to do harm at people. And they've got such a false understanding of suffering. Suffering to them is always deserved, isn't it? He's been bitten by a snake. He must have done something bad. And they are just so fickle spiritually too, aren't they? You know, one minute Paul's a murderer, the next he's a... Do you see it? I mean, do you see the blindness and the darkness that these people are in? Do you see it? Well, friends, that there is surely for us a picture of the unbelievers in our lives. It's surely a parallel with the unbelievers in our society. But get this. Are we maybe losing sight of that? Is it maybe true of the people of God today that we have lost sight of the lostness of the lost? Haven't we? You know, maybe because you and I are just caught up in the, I don't know, caught up in our own affairs and our own lives. Um, maybe because we've just become so indistinguishable with the world around us. Isn't it possibly true of us that we've, we're missing the plight of those who are outside of salvation? We look at our friends and we look at our family, we look at our fellow students and we are not seeing the, the, the state, the predicament that these people are in. Well, here, Luke writes this to give his readers a wake-up call. And I'm saying to you this morning, maybe that is exactly what you and I need. Like, maybe this morning what we need to do is ask God to awaken us again. Like, awaken us to the, the spiritual realities that we are living in today in the 21st century. We need to be woken up to the fact that people are dying outside of Jesus Christ. This isn't a game. Like the life of the church is, is, is not a game. People are dying in their sin. Look at Acts 28. They're lost. They're stumbling around in the darkness. And as Christians, the people of God, I mean, this, we should care about this. This should burden us. We should care about the predicament of those in the unbelieving world. Okay. We should connect with the unbelieving world. We should care spiritually for the unbelieving world. Thirdly, 
We should care practically for the unbelieving world. Care practically. So if you're following through Acts 28 with me, you'll see that you know, Paul's kind of engaged in the Christians. He's with Luke and Aristarchus at this point. And Paul's kind of engaged with these unbelievers. And we've seen something of the darkness that these people are in. But look, the story kind of moves on in a new section, doesn't it? See that? Like Paul meets this guy, Publius. Now, he seems to be like the main dude, the main man, you know? Publius seems to be, like, just think, I don't know, the governor of Malta or something like that. And again, you've got kindness and benevolence from the, from the pagan world because Publius invites Paul and the Christians to come and stay with him, stay in his house. There's hospitality there. And as Paul stays there, he kind of opens up, Publius opens up to Paul. He says, my dad's ill. My dad is suffering with a fever. He's really ill. He's got dysentery. And really here, what I want you to think about is how Paul deals with that information. Like, what does he do? Like, he doesn't do the standard Christian thing that you and I might do, does he? Like, he doesn't sort of just give Publius a couple of sympathetic words and say, okay, I'll pray for your dad and leave it at that. What does Paul do? Do you see? Paul goes to this man. He goes to Publius' father, goes into him, speaks to him, He prays for him, places his hands on him. What does he do? He heals Publius' dad. He cures Publius' father. Now, the application here is not all that easy, is it? Like, I was thinking about this before when I started preparing the sermon. I was going to say, I was going to ask you, like, put your hand up if you can do what Paul does there. You know, if you can go around healing people of fever and dysentery, you know. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up just in case people do put their hand up and that leads to all manner of sort of pastoral conversations and problems that I don't need to deal with. But you see the point. We can't do this. We can't go around healing people of dysentery. We can't perform these miracles. What's the lesson here for us? Well, friends, what is it in essence that Paul is doing at this point? Do you see it? He is demonstrating the grace of God that is at work in his own life. And we can't go around healing people. But we can do that, can't we? Like, all of us in here who are Christians, what is going on presently just now in our experience? God is at work in us. The Holy Spirit, even this morning, at work in our hearts. And what's God doing? He's actually changing you and we'll be changed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace is at work in our hearts. And we can go out and we can demonstrate that power. We can go out and we can demonstrate something of that grace, can't we? And so this morning, I'm standing before you and I'm asking you, the people of God, to do this in increasing measure you know like to 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 ask god to show you how you can as a christian care practically for the unbelievers in your life think about that are we even doing that do we even think about that ask god to to show us how we can act on their behalf and how we can show unbelievers some sort of kindness how we can how we can meet their needs and Do you see 
that there, that practical care, is just so important. I'll give you a couple of reasons. One, it shows the unbelievers in our life something of the character of Jesus, doesn't it? Because I know that most of you are familiar with your Bibles, aren't you? Now, I wonder, did you get this? Luke writes this miracle, records it, almost exactly the same as he records another miracle. Do you get it? It's a miracle of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. Do you remember it? Like both miracles show the person heal a fever. Both miracles lead on the healing of masses and masses of people. Do you see the point? If we show, demonstrate something, the grace of God in our lives, not only are we following the example of Paul here, what are we doing? We're following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're able to show something of the the character and the beauty and the grace of, of God. And then the other thing it does, if we show care, practical care for people, get your head around this, it validates the gospel message, doesn't it? Like you care for the people in your life, you care for the unbelievers, it's going to authenticate this message of Jesus Christ that you're trying to bring them. And maybe you say, no, 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 Andy, you're wrong, man. Because there's nowhere in Acts 28 where Paul is preaching the gospel. But I say to you this morning, he was. You're supposed to see he was. Remember what was the point of last week's sermon? On that ship, Paul took every single opportunity to preach Christ. Luke doesn't need to spell it out for us. Paul on that beach in Malta, Paul with Publius' dad, what is he doing? He's preaching Jesus. He's telling people about grace. And this miracle, this healing, it only serves to, to underline that, to authenticate this message. Grace. God's grace. So I have a question for you. Are you, as a child of God, struggling to witness to Jesus? Is this something that is just, like this idea of evangelism that you hear in your churches and you hear in your free church camp, I'm sure. Is this idea of evangelism, is it just not something that you can do? Is it just something that you're not involved in? I say to you, just now, do this. Like start with this. Demonstrate some practical care and love for the unbelievers in your life. Because you start there, not only are you going to help people, not only are you going to meet some needs, what's going to happen? It's going to open doors. It's going to give you opportunities to tell people more about your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we connect with the unbelieving world. We care spiritually and practically. I just want to end with a fourth thing. Christians should combine against the unbelieving world, which sounds really sort of militant and, and freaky. It isn't. We should combine against the unbelieving world. Okay, so we've seen Paul with these pagans um, in Malta. But as we end this section, what we find is the apostle turn his attention once again to Rome. He considers Rome. Now the crew, they set sail, they spend three months in Malta, they set sail, they stop off in Sicily. And then they eventually dock about halfway up Italy. And they come into port there. Now, as we're closing just now, all I wanted to do is to notice the interaction that Paul has with Christians. We've seen his interaction with pagans. I just want to think about how he interacts with Christians here. 
Now, when I was reading it out, did you notice what happened? Like they dock, they find a group of Christians, and the Christians show hospitality to Paul for seven days. Then an amazing thing happens. Like you've got Paul, you can imagine it, I'm sure, if you put your mind to it. You've got Paul, Luke, and Aristarchus, and they are making their way along this Roman road to Rome. And they've been, they've been a long time trying to get to Rome. And they're getting out. Do you see what happens? Not one, but two groups of believers come out of Rome. You can see what's happened. They've heard that the Apostle Paul's coming. They come. They travel a huge distance. One of those groups travels about 30 miles. The other group travels about 43 miles. You see what they're doing, don't you? Like Paul's coming. The great Apostle's coming. So they've, they've come out to welcome him to speak to Paul, they come out to support Paul, maybe pray for Paul, and then the section ends with just the most fantastic, fantastic phrase. Do you see it? Told that with the sight of these Christians coming to him, that the great apostle, he was, what does it say? He was encouraged by the people of God. Now friends, what do we learn there? I want you to think about the situation. Paul is about to go into Rome. What was that at the time? It was the great epicenter of unbelief in the known world. And before God sends this man into that pagan setting, what happens? The Christian community, they come to him. They gather around Paul and they encourage him. Do you see the lesson for us? Like if our denomination, Free Church of Scotland, and if our congregations, if we want to have any sort of meaningful, lasting impact on our pagan setting, what has to happen first? There has to be some sort of unity amongst the people of God, doesn't there? Like we have to, to come together. We have to stand by one another, so people have got, I'm not talking about, you know, that idea of unity where we say nice things to people's faces as Christians, and then when their backs turn, we, we slaughter them. I'm not talking about that. There needs to be a renewal. There needs to be a rediscovery of mutual service in the church. A rediscovery of, of mutual encouragement. We need, we need to do this before we go out into the, the pagan world. We need to come together and there needs to be some unity. And I want to end just by addressing the free church camp this morning. So you have to wake up, guys. Like, I think, honestly, historically, we've probably, as a church, let people of your age down. I, I think you can, you can, you can understand it. Like we're quite a small denomination. And we're really keen for our young people to stay with the church. So what have we done historically? pampered people your age you see from Acts chapter 28 what we should have done we should have taught our young people to be like these people on the road to Rome we should have taught our young people to be encouragers like we should have taught our young people to be servants to support people right and so like, what did I say? 30 miles these people travel? 43 miles? That's nothing. You guys are about to go up to Scotland. So when that comes next week and you're going back up to Scotland, I'm saying to you, do this.
Do this. Like, go back into your churches, go back into your congregations, and you stand beside your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you go back to your ministers, and you go back to your elders, and the older people in the church, and those who are holding out this gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and what do you do? You, you, you be these people. Like, you support them, and you pray for them, and you encourage them, and you, you serve them. You stand, you be these encouragers. And we all see, don't we, why this is just so incredibly important. It's because we, the Church of Jesus Christ, have the most incredible message to hold out, don't we? A message where, what's happened? Where the Son of Man has bruised the head of a serpent. Where a viper. Where a serpent at the cross of Jesus Christ has had his poison rendered utterly ineffectual. Where the Son of God himself has died death of a murderer. Why? For us. For people like us that we might be free. That we might be liberated from the, the shackles, the pressure, the judgment, the wrath coming to our sin. It's an awesome message, isn't it? So friends, we serve one another. We, we show encouragement to one another so that the light of the world might go out into the darkness and so that, you know, that blindness, it might be lifted and so that by his grace, souls might be won for Jesus Christ. Let's pray.